The atmosphere was quite tense. It's not often a former American president comes to speak to the citizens of Paris. And folk were excited to hear what the president would say and what words of wisdom he would impart to them. And so all eyes were rooted at the front. And as the president, the ex-president, gave a speech, he said words which would echo down throughout history as a stirring speech, a speech which summons us to heroic deeds. It is not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doers of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but he actually strives to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So at his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And as Theodore Roosevelt gave those words to the Sorbonne in Paris in April 1910, he sparked this idea, this, this thing in history that we need a hero, do we not? We echo that we want to see or we want to be the person in the arena who's doing something great with our lives. Or do we? We don't want to identify with the cynics, do we? We don't want to be the cold and narrow souls who criticize others. And so Theodore Roosevelt sparked off this, this idea, reaches into the tradition of one who would come to rescue us. One who would be this heroic figure, or perhaps Maybe more, more succinctly, when old Bonnie Tyler sung, I'm looking for a hero, she maybe captured that thought. But this idea of heroism, of those who do bold deeds, of those who do great things, echoes in us, does it not? We need a hero. We want our lives to count for something. We want them to have meaning. Or is that just me this morning? You're all very quiet. It's making me nervous. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, John. We want our lives to count. But we also know that sometimes we do come short. We do fall short. We, we have this longing in us, and yet we have these holdups. But what if this longing for a hero, this longing to be heroic, actually does point to something? When you're hungry, the hunger in you points to something real, does it not? It points to your need for food. And perhaps this longing in us points to something. This, this figure who walks across the phages of history. This figure who stands out unique amongst the crowd. This figure who here in John's gospel is standing in the midst of the temple, in the midst of all this hubbub and cries out. I mean, it's exciting, isn't it? This feast that Jesus was at, the Feast of the Booze, it had been celebrated for eight days in Jerusalem. It was a great time. The guys got to camp out. It's amazing. Have you ever been, if you've been to Jerusalem and you're there during the festival of the booze, even to this day, if you look at the tents, the apartments in Israel, they've got all these wee wooden structures. It's great. Well, I think it's great. <laughs> Beats a caravan and Skegness, does it? <laughs> but they've got these structures and they, they celebrate it in the booze for eight days, how the Lord led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And it was a joyous time. They camped out, they sung songs together, they went up to the feast. And it was the whole nation had come together. So Jerusalem was packed full of people. 
And in the middle of the feast each morning, this thing would happen where they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill up some water in this golden, this golden, I was going to say teapot, but that's not quite right, this golden vessel. And they would march with this golden vessel up to the temple and it was to symbolize the Lord's provision in the wilderness. Remember when he gave them water from the rock? I mean, the people of Israel really were a grumbling bunch, weren't they? Lord, we're hungry, have food from heaven. We don't like the food from heaven. Lord, we're thirsty, have some water. We don't like the water. We want some quail, there's some quail. Oh, anyway. But this was to symbolize the water being brought up. And this procession would happen every day of the feast. They would go in the morning from the pool of Siloam up to the temple of this water. And as they were walking through the streets, the crowds would sing and wave palm branches. And they'd quote Psalm 118, that famous Psalm, Lord, save us, Lord, rescue us. And they'd go up into the temple and there'd be great hallelujahs and great shouts. And they would say the verse from Isaiah 12, verse 3, you will joyfully draw water from the wells of salvation. So as all this was going on, all this symbolism of God's provision, God's caring love, they also looked to the future too because they would read scriptures like Ezekiel 47, verse 1 to 12. That beautiful vision the Lord gives Ezekiel where the water trickles out of the temple into the desert and it becomes a mighty flowing river that transforms the land. That pointed to God coming and renewing his people. They got really excited about this water, which I know in Britain we can't do because we get water all the time. But imagine this desert. One of the rabbis actually said, you've never experienced joy in your life until you've been to the water drawing ceremony. It's quite a statement, isn't it? There's joy. There's the celebration of God's provision, how God would look after his people according to the promises of his word. And there was future expectation of the day when God would come into this desert nation and pour out streams of living water who would renew the nation, rebuild the people and give them hope for eternity. That's quite a heady mix, is it not? And into this mix, this one figure stands up, this one figure by himself and he cries out to them, if anyone thirsts, Jesus must have had good voice. Jesus didn't need to worry about the, the crackling of the feedback. If anyone thirsts, he says this to a crowd, a crowd of malcontents, a crowd of people who were worried about where they were going to their dinner that night, a crowd of people who had family concerns, a crowd of people who felt the burden of being away from God, a crowd of people who were looking for something, looking for a hero or deliverance, and he cries out to them, if anyone I love some words in the Bible, and one of those words that I love is anyone. Who is anyone but everyone? There's no exception to anyone, is there? If anyone thirsts, thirsts like what? Well, if we know we've been through John, have we not? We have sat with Jesus and the woman at the well. There was a lady who was thirsting for meaning in her life, was her not? She'd, she'd had all her partners. She was looking for something and she couldn't find it. Like Bonnie Tyler, she was looking for a hero. Poor Bonnie Tyler. She was thirsty. It's horrible to be thirsty, isn't it? You can throw gunshots at the world's strongest armies and they'll stand up. You can throw all sorts at them. But if you have a thirsty army or a thirsty people, it's lost. Thirst is consuming. And we know that Jesus here is talking about a spiritual thirst. 
That Jesus here is talking about a longing in each and anyone's soul that cannot be satisfied by anything other than the living God. And if 2,000 years of history since Jesus has walked this earth hasn't taught us that, then we really haven't listened, have we? Does money satisfy the longing of our heart? Some of the most miserable people I know are the richest people in the world. I don't know them that well. <laughs> I've heard about it, thank you. <laughs> and in this society of ours, now I know there's problems in our society. I know the cost of living crisis. I know all that. So when I say this, I do say it advisedly. But truly, we live in one of the most affluent societies ever in human history. Is it matched by happiness amongst the people? There's still a thirst. There's still a longing. There's still an ache in hearts, is there not? If anyone thirsts, if anyone is looking for hope, one of the saddest statistics I saw recently was an interview done by 18 to 30-year-olds, and yes, I've fallen out of that bracket. That's very sad. 18 to 30-year-olds, do you have hope for the future? The majority of them said no. Majority of them said no. Thirst for satisfaction, thirst for love, thirst for peace and joy and hope and happiness, somebody who will come in and deliver us. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What is Jesus saying here? He is the hero. He is the one to come and step into this weary, dry, and thirsty world. And if anyone comes to him, if anyone receives him and drinks deeply from him, he will satisfy their thirst. And all of a sudden, the scriptures explode to life. And it's for Psalm 116, oh Lord, I come to you to receive pleasures from your right hand. I delight to sit in the sanctuary and gaze upon your beauty. There's something arresting, compelling, beautiful, lovely about the Lord Jesus, is there not? What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. This compelling figure stands up in the midst of this crowd and he dares to make the bold claim and he makes it and continues to cry through the centuries to you and to me, he is the saviour. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one sent by God himself to rescue, redeem, and make our hearts glad forevermore. Who will destroy sin. Who will take it away by his body on the cross so that we could be saved. Who will deal with all the corruption of the world, all the evil in the world. He will make all things new through the power of his resurrection. Isn't Jesus amazing? And do you know that delight you have in him this morning? That you can come to him right now and drink deeply from the well of salvation. That you could drink until your thirst is satisfied, until your soul is quenched with delight and joy and happiness. Does this all sound terribly enthusiastic? Good. Because he is everything. A hero who transforms us. Knowledge of truly his, who he is is essential. That's why we spent last week and the weeks before with Jesus arguing with the Pharisees saying, no, I am sent by God. Thirst, come, drink. A thirst quench, Jeremiah 2, verse 13. The Lord says this against his people. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. 
and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that do not hold water. You have a hole in your bucket, dear Eliza, dear Eliza. You have a hole in your bucket. That's going to be stuck in your head now, isn't it? But we do. We do. We eat and we drink, we're hungry and we're thirsty again. We go to Amazon and we buy something and we're excited, then we get fed up with it. We change jobs. We change houses. We change locations. But none of that really satisfies because we've got a hole in our bucket. But when we come to Jesus, the fountain of living waters, not only does he save, the Christian life is salvation. It's freedom from sin, freedom from the wrath of God that we have justly earned. It is freedom, but it is freedom not only from, it is freedom to know and love and enjoy and delight in Jesus Christ forevermore. Isn't that amazing? Please say yes. Are you still with me? That's good. A thirst quenched. A knowledge of who he truly is. And the amazing thing about Jesus is, even if our faith is weak and even if we're feeling our way in the dark towards him, if we get the hold of him, he is holding on to us. And he will never let go. And so our knowledge of him grows and grows and grows in this life and all throughout eternity. I mean, Jesus, is a, Jesus makes Wikipedia look like a kid's P3 textbook. See all the stuff about AI? That's great. But compared to Christ, it's nothing. He is amazing. Knowledge of truly he is. The hero who comes to rescue and redeem us, our thirst quenched, our heart transformed, a new heart, a new birth, a new start, a cleansing within. This was promised way back in Ezekiel as well. How many of you have read Ezekiel recently? It's a strange book, isn't it? It's a lovely book, but Ezekiel, the middle of this promise, Ezekiel 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle, says Yahweh, clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to follow me. New heart, new start, new being given by Jesus Christ. How many of us wish we could start again? In Christ we can. A heart transformed. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, guard your heart for from it flows the wellsprings of your life. Jesus says he comes to give us a brand new heart. A heart that loves him. A heart that follows him. A heart that desires him. It's quite a gift, isn't it? A hero who comes, a hero who transforms us, a thirst quenched, a heart transformed. And I love this. And yes, this is the translation. A belly full. How many of you like a full belly? Let me do that while I get some water here. A belly full. Because not only does he transform us and satisfy us and fill us full of his goodness so that we're overflowing. Our belly is full. Bruce Maline in this passage says, Christ's gift to the church is not like a Scotsman. (laughs) It is not niggardly, but it is expansive. This gift he gives us is not, sorry, sorry. I'm going back to Scotland tonight, so I'll get suitably told off, don't worry. This gift he gives us. I mean, have you ever got a present that somebody's begrudged given you? There's nothing worse than getting a gift that somebody has begrudged given you, is there? Happy birthday, there you go. Oh, well, thanks very much. You know, you don't have to get me it. I know I didn't, but I did. 
Have you ever had that sort of conversation? We have in our heads, and society reinforces that God is stingy, that he begrudges giving us gifts, that he's sort of this, this tolerant father up in heaven who tolerates us, but don't interrupt him reading the Sunday paper. That's not how the Bible describes him. He is holy, yes. He does not tolerate sin or evil, no. But there is also in his heart a deep, expansive generosity and love and giving that gives us his only son so that we would be saved, satisfied, and transformed in this life and for all eternity. God is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And never fall into the lie, and never buy into the lie that, A, he's some daughtery old man up in heaven, he's lost. I was introducing Malin this week to Dad's Army. How many of you have seen Dad's Army? One of my favorite characters in Dad's Army is Godfrey. You know the old boy, he just, he just gets confused all the time. He's great, isn't he? People think that's what God's like, but he's not. He is living and active. He sees us in all his full knowledge of us. And in that full knowledge of us, we could be alarmed and scared because we want to hide away from him. But that full knowledge is also balanced by his full grace and love for us. Our salvation is not based on our affection and love for God. It's based on his love for us. And that love comes powerfully through Jesus Christ. And when he gives to us, he isn't niggerly. He is expansive. And this love keeps us in this life the next. Reese, I don't know if you've heard in the headlines, well, not in the headlines, sorry, but in the news that Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York, died this week. And Keller had some lovely quotes. One is this, Christianity is different from all religions. It doesn't leave you to face death on your own by holding up your life record and hoping it will survive. Survive instead. They send you a hero who has defeated death, who pardons you and covers you with his love. That's what Jesus does. And he gives us a belly full. And what do we do with this full belly? Now, I need to be careful about this because the illustration could be stretched too far. So we'll, we'll say the hero who causes us transformation in others, in us, also causes transformation in the society around us, verse 38 to 39. Look here, this living water flows out of us. There's a generosity in the heart of God that flows out as he sends his son, as he sends his spirit, as he transforms us, and he sends us out into the world to see people transformed by his goodness and love through the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? John Wesley, my, my old sparring partner, Whosoever comes to him by faith, his inmost soul shall be filled with living water, with abundance of joy, peace, and love, which shall flow from him to others. Acts chapter 1 and 2 next week is Pentecost. We see how the Holy Spirit was poured out at the birth, or the, there's a debate, is it the birth of the church? Is it, as it's poured out in the people of God, and they go out. They take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Isn't it amazing that we sit here today because, humanly speaking, 12 men were filled by the Holy Spirit and they preached the good news? Not amazing when you think about it. And the ladies went out and everyone went out and they proclaimed the good news of the gospel all because of a small cohort in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's far away. Have you ever tried to walk to Jerusalem from here? I'll keep you busy. 
And yet the Spirit was poured out. The church was formed and 3,000 souls were added and the church just kept growing and growing. And then persecution was sent to the church so the church was scattered. And when the church was scattered, what happened? Did it die out? No, it started growing and growing and growing. And this church covers the Roman Empire. And then it goes beyond the Roman Empire. We even think that the Apostle Thomas, according to tradition, lands in India and brings the gospel there. And we think Paul possibly gets all the way to Spain. Does it stop then? No, then the Irish come and rescue the day in the form of Patrick. And the gospel goes out from Ireland and covers all of Europe again. And so on and on it goes. There wasn't a church and then there was. There wasn't a people of God and then there was. Christianity doesn't go from strength to strength like its founder. It goes from death to resurrection. The church grows. And that's why I can never, ever be pessimistic about the church in the 21st century. Did you ever read some of the, the books about, oh, the church is doomed, doomed, we're all doomed. Absolute rubbish because Jesus lives. And the Holy Spirit's still in the church. And he still transforms and he still saves and he still builds the church. Do we believe this? And I am incredibly excited for the future of Lincoln Baptist Church, not because, I don't want to say because of us, because I want to be, <laughs> I'm excited for the future of Lincoln Baptist Church because the Lord wants to do something here. And I love Lincoln. Lincoln's a great place. I was, I was sitting the other day in Stokes, not, not the rich part and the peasant part and the cheap part. <laughs> you can have a coffee in Stokes for two fifty, and you get a free cross on. It's really good if you're hungry. And I was sitting outside and I was looking up and down Lincoln High Street. Talk about a bunch of thirsty people. People going up and down. And the one scripture that came to me is that scripture about Jesus when he looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. God wants us to reach the people of Lincoln. And when we've reached the people of Lincoln, we're not finished, guys. We've got Lincolnshire to tackle next. And then when we're finished with Lincolnshire, we need to move into Yorkshire. And there, you know what the Yorkshire folk are like. <laughs> and then once we, we move into Yorkshire, we might head down into Nottingham, but we might leave that for a wee bit. And we want to do this through the power of his Holy Spirit. Because the spirit within flows out. Jesus transforms and saves us individually, yes. And we need individual salvation. We must repent individually and trust in him. Whoever believes in him personally shall receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins. But when you're saved individually, you're brought into the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit empowers that body. The Holy Spirit is given by Jesus for his people, for his glory. And like that river in Ezekiel 47, again, when you go home today, read Ezekiel 47, see how this river starts in the temple, the place of sacrifice, prayer, and praise, and how this trickle goes out into the desert, and all of a sudden it explodes with life and growth. That's what the Lord intends for his people, to glorify and praise his name. So have you come to him? Have you truly come to know the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the only begotten, the only begotten Son of the Father, true God of true God, light of light eternal, who comes to you and when you say to him, Lord, please forgive me. Forgive my sins, forgive my trying to satisfy my thirst and my delight and my salvation and any other source through my good works, through other philosophies, through anything other than the person of your son, forgive me and receive me. He will. Anyone who thirsts can come to him. And when you've come and received that, are you still enjoying fellowship with him? There's a story told of an old Canadian, um, what are they called in Canada? 
No. Indians in America. First Nations, there we go, thank you. First Nations, there we go. First Nations guy in Canada was going, thank you guys. I love, I love, see, I'm getting old and daughtery, so you'll need to, you'll need to keep me right. This guy was going around all the cities in Canada, and he had two wolves with him. He had a white wolf and a black wolf. And he would tour around all the cities in Canada. And everywhere he went, he would encourage people to bet, you know, will the white wolf win or the black wolf win? And they were equally matched. They were equally the same size. And every single time the wolves fought, he knew which one was going to win. How did he know? Somebody asked him. He said, it's the wolf I feed. It's the wolf I feed. Have you been feeding your soul in Christ today? When we came here this morning, have you prayed to him this morning? Have you talked to the Lord Jesus? He is real. It's a bit twee sometimes, but it's such a truth. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Are you feeding on his word? When you come to the Bible, how do you come to it? Do you come to it as, oh, well, I have to do it today because, you know, McShaney told me I need to read 12 passages and if I don't, he'll, he'll shout at me. Or do you come to it seeking to feed on the living Christ whom it tells you about through the Holy Spirit? Look at that passage today. If anyone's thirsty, you thirsty this morning, then Jesus says, come to him and drink. Satisfy your hearts in him. Do you gather together frequently with God's people? God's people can be a challenge, but we're still called to gather together. It's very hard to love in isolation, is it not? We're called to love one another. You can't do that by yourself. And the Apostle Paul's very realistic. I love it when Paul says, bear with one another. <laughs> but do it in love. And as we gather together as God's people, there's a power in the unity as we gather around the figure of Jesus Christ, is there not? I love walking through these doors on Sunday. I'm excited about coming to church. Why? Because I get to gather with God's people and praise his name. I don't get to listen to the sermon. That's unfortunate. You guys have to do that. But to hear his word as we fellowship together. He is in the midst. Church is important. Fellowship's important. No church is going to be perfect. Some churches will have bumps and scrapes. There'll be times where you'll want to strangle somebody. But still we gather together. Because we're imperfect people called by a beautiful, perfect Savior filled with his grace. So let's love one another. Now, you'll be saying, Daniel, you've just covered four verses in 20 minutes and there's still 12 verses to go. Don't worry, this part's the shortest part. Verses 40 to 52. How will this look when we do this? When Christ is in us, when he's flowing out of us into the world? Well, let me suggest three things, pride, prejudice, and hope. Look at the reaction of the religious leaders here. When you preach Christ, when a church is on fire for the Lord and the Spirit is flowing out of him, it will make a difference in society. And it will cause no small end of controversy. I mean, I love these guys. They're always fighting. Have you ever heard the saying, start a row in an empty house? My mum used to say that about me. I could start a row in an empty house. Don't know why she said that. <laughs> this is really is the prophet. Yes, you're right. He is the prophet Moses promised in Deuteronomy 18, 17, verse 15, when Moses said, a prophet shall arise after me, he'll be greater than me. They got that right. Some said he is the Christ. Yes, he is the Messiah. Some start fighting about him. And they throw up theological objections. Oh, well, this guy's from Galilee. It's funny how when you start getting to the heart of the matter, sometimes people throw up theology in your face. You ever encountered that? 
Some of you start talking about Jesus and his love and they'll throw something in your face like, oh, well, if God's so good, why is there evil in the world? It's a valid question. Is that really their problem? Remember the woman at the well? Jesus starts touching on her, as my old pastor used to say, starts standing on her corns. Well, if you are the Messiah, well, well, what about this worship in the mountain? Why do we not worship in the mountain? Is Jerusalem where all the worship should be? They start fighting amongst themselves. Theology is important. Good theology is good. But all theology should point to the one who is the embodiment of every theological thing, and that is Jesus Christ himself. They start fighting about where he's won. And I mean, John here has a gentle chuckle to himself in the background because they start fighting. Well, if Jesus was the Messiah, surely he'd be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. You got that right. Oh, if, if he was truly the Messiah, he'd be born there. Well, he was. Oh. There'll be pride. They'll mask it through all sorts of things. And when you preach Jesus, sometimes you'll encounter people's pride. They do not want to surrender or admit they need to surrender to the Savior, the Lord of the universe. And so they'll raise all sorts of obstacles because their pride keeps them from bowing the knee to the king. There'll be pride. There'll be prejudice. People say, oh, this Jesus, you know, he's just a, he's a small guy. How, how can you talk about Jesus? And so they fight over Galilee then. And per, per Nicodemus here. Nicodemus is a funny character, is he not? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he was scared to come by day here. Here Nicodemus actually stands up for Jesus amongst the Pharisees. Nicodemus says, well, you know, should we not hear what he says and judge him by our own law first? Guys, you're, you're, you're breaking the very law you've, you've found uphold. That's what they throw back at him. Oh, are you from Galilee too? If you stand with Jesus, you will suffer mockery. You will suffer harsh comments. You may even suffer persecution But it's worth it. It is worth it. For we have found our delight and our joy and our salvation in him. And we know that they cannot harm one hair in our head unless the Father allows it. And who do we fear? We fear God. Even though the body may be harmed and destroyed, God is the one who keeps us. And actually, again, these guys are a bit dense because we reckon that Jonah came from Galilee. Now, he's a pretty big prophet, is he not? If you look at 1 Kings, it says about Jonah who came from Galilee. We also reckon that Nahum came from Galilee as well. So there's another prophet. And last but not least, there's a strong possibility that Elijah came from Galilee. So there's a few prophets came from Galilee. But that's not the point of the matter. Pride, prejudice. You will encounter all these things as you proclaim Jesus and the Spirit goes forth. Friends, don't be troubled by it. Keep loving Jesus. Keep going. Keep strong because there's always hope. Nicodemus for me in this passage is the person of hope. Remember that conversation Jesus had with him, that famous conversation where Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus went away into the night because he hadn't quite taken the words in. A seed was sown in Nicodemus's heart that evening. And that seed started to grow so that Nicodemus here defends Jesus. And eventually one day Nicodemus would take his stand in the early church with Jesus. How somebody is today is not how they'll be tomorrow. There's always hope that when we preach the gospel, when we proclaim it in the name and the power of the Holy Spirit, that seeds are sown in hearts that we do not know how they'll come to fruition. Isn't that amazing? God is always at work. Always at work. I was nearly going to say no surrender, but that's, 
never give up. When you have come to Christ and he has filled you with his spirit and it flows out of you, keep doing the work of the Lord in the strength of the Lord for his joy. Sow seeds in whatever pride and prejudice you encounter. Keep going. Because one day Christ will win. Let's pray. Lord, when we preach passages like this, we feel so underqualified. How can we speak of the fountain of living water that satisfies the soul in this life and into eternity? How can words, mere words, adequately describe your beauty, your love, your grace, your holiness? We think of that scene in Revelation where you show a bit of your glory in a vision to John and he falls down at your feet though dead. And yet in the midst of that vision, we remember that you laid your hand on his shoulder. So I pray this morning for your people, the saints of LBC, as we gather together, that you will lay your hand on each of our shoulders, that you will help us not to drink water from the hole in our bucket, but to turn to you and have our souls satisfied by faith in the living, loving Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. We do not gather to worship a religious system, a set of man-made beliefs. We gather to worship the Son of the living God. And if there's any here this morning, Lord, I pray from the what came from me that was not helpful would fall to the wayside, but your word would go to their heart. And like the seed you planted in Nicodemus, it would spring up to eternal life within them. For to know you is life. To know you is joy. To know you is forgiveness. To know you is cleansing from sin. To know you is everything. So Lord Jesus, move in our midst, we pray for the honor and glory of your name. Amen.